welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. church. Good morning to all of you here, to those of you watching online, to those of you that are in the overflow. We welcome you. My name is Lindsay Willis. I'm a pastor here. It is my great privilege to introduce our guest this morning. Pastor John and Helen Burns have been friends of mine for almost 18 years. They pastor Relate Church in, uh, sorry, I did it again, Vancouver, British Columbia, um, one of the most beautiful spots on the face of the earth. I've had the privilege of introducing them to Pastor Robin Becca about five or six years ago. And they're here this weekend to share their passion, which is healthy relationships, healthy marriages, singles being healthy in their relationships. They've brought a bunch of resources out there on marriage and their books this weekend on parenting and marriage. If you like what you've heard at marriage night or this weekend, go out there and take it home with you and study it more. But right now, I want you to open your heart, turn up your ears, and welcome my dear friend, Pastor Helen Burns. How do we, whoops, how do we love Lindsay? She's the best. <laughs> One of the greatest gifts God ever gave me is my friendship with Lindsay. And uh, she rocks, and I'm still trying to find her a husband, and I'm hoping you can help me. Because <laughs> I'm telling you what, she's a catch. She is a catch. If you, want, if you want to meet her, come and see me first, and I'll check you out. And uh, <laughs> I've totally embarrassed her, but that's all right. She'll still be my friend. I have loved every moment of being here with you at your amazing church. And I am so honored at this privilege. Um, The world has heard about what's going on around here and how God is moving and touching. And there is just the kiss of heaven upon this church and the ministry that extends beyond the walls of this church. And so never take for granted what God is doing. So often we can sit in a place and uh, we can just think, oh, this is normal. You need to know how intensely blessed you are and how God is using you to, to bring hope in life um, way beyond what you see here. And we're a church that has been impacted by your church. So thank you for being a fantastic church. Truly, truly honored. Our church sends love to you today. And uh, it's fun being back and forth and talking and listening to what's going on at home as they had services last night as well. And, uh, but so they send their love. We're your family, just in case you didn't know. We are all related. And uh, your Canadian family's pretty cool. And I'm going to go and tell them how intensely cool you are as well. Super cool. And a little bit cold. But that's okay. I'm a Canadian. I can do cold. I can do cold. So in this time that I have with you this morning, I'm going to share one of my greatest passions. 
John and I are intensely passionate about teaching marriage, family, relationships, having, having relationships that honor God. There's a beautiful scripture that, where, where we learn that by this will all men know, Jesus said, that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And church, we need to get great at relationships. And many of us come from great dysfunction. John always says we're all basically from dysfunctional homes. It started with Adam and Eve, and that home wasn't perfect. And you know what? Every home needs God. And for some of us, it's been a lot more dysfunction than others, but I want to encourage you that there's hope for each and every family, for each and every marriage, for each and every individual. Don't ever look and think it's too late for me because we sang it, our God is bigger. And he just can do the impossible. John and I are testimony of God's grace. After being married for four years, we were finished. It was like, I don't want to be married anymore. I was pregnant with our third daughter. We had a little three-year-old and a two-year-old. And while everything looked okay on the outside, our heart and our home was broken. And in a place of real desperation, I realized I have one opportunity. I remember in a very desperate place one night when we were already living in separate cities, I bowed my knee and I said, God, I know this isn't the life that you planned for me. God, tonight, I give my life to you completely. And God took our mess and our brokenness and our shattered lives and put them back together. And what I share from today is really the foundation that we need to build on. And I pray that it encourages you. If you're here today and you feel like I've done it all wrong and where do I even begin? It's too much water has gone under the bridge. That is not true. There is hope for each and every person wherever you are today. If we're doing good, we can go to great. If we are broken, we can step up and ask God to come into the middle of our chaos and create the miracle that he is capable of doing. He wants to show us off to the world that it's not really so much about how we started, but it's how we finish. And you can determine to finish great. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read to you out of Psalm 127, and there's three core points that I want to bring out of this scripture. And here it says in Psalm 127, "Unless Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. It is useless for you to go to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. This is a very beautiful, I believe, comprehensive picture of building the right way or building the wrong way. And that first scripture here is it says, unless the Lord. Who? The Lord. Who? The Lord builds the house. The work of the builders is wasted. I do not want to build my entire life and think I have nothing to prove for it. But if I invite God in and say, God, you build this house, it is going to stand and it is going to prosper and it is going to flourish. And not only will it be a blessing to my life, but it's leaving a legacy for the generations. I am passionate about the generations. John and I have been married for 37 years. We have three daughters, um, 36, 35, and 33 We have a gorgeous granddaughter who's about to be 16 years old, and I have to look up to her a lot. She's six feet tall and loves to wear high heels. (laughs) See what happened? My daughter's 5'11", and she kept looking for a tall man and found one. 
and he's awesome. He's 6'3 or 6'4, and so they're creating giants, <laughs> and uh, it's awesome. <laughs> John's grandfather was 6'7, so there's tall genes in the family. <clears throat> but I want my legacy to not end with me. I want it to be strong and more powerful for the generations to come. So I want to build with a foundation that can stand the tests of time. And I know there's only one way to do it. I found out what doesn't work, and I do know now what does work. I let the Lord build the house. God is a master builder. And you always, always, when you're building something, you bring in the master building builder at the beginning. You don't start building something you think, well, this is what I think. So often we just look at what's been done in the past. For example, in marriage and family. We come from family um, that maybe how they built, you think that's the only way to build. And you begin to just build according to what you've known in the past. But you know what? If you don't take a look at the right way to build, you may not have what you want. And the, so many of us build by default, not by design. We just default to what we saw in the past. And God's saying, no, I have a way to build. And though John and I came from families and homes where they loved God and, and built on a good foundation, here we found ourselves four years into marriage separate. How did that happen? Well, we didn't build on a sound foundation. We thought, we know what we're doing. We know what to do. We love each other. That's enough. But we had to build on a solid foundation. And so if you're here today and the foundation looks so good, you can go through a massive renovation and bring God into the equation and let him build your home the right way. You know, it's interesting. John and I built our, we bought this beautiful home. It's the first home we didn't actually build um, in our marriage. We, act, we bought it because we love the view. We get to look at the ocean. It's a beautiful home and we feel very, very blessed to live there. And this dream home of ours that just felt like the most amazing gift we discovered one day there was something very fundamentally wrong with it. And we didn't have an option. There was just some, some, in, some damage that had happened. Because if I try to explain it, it won't come out right. But it was a major renovation. And for all the builders in here, you're thankful I'm not going to explain it. But when it was assessed, we literally had to rip all of the outside. We had everything, all our beautiful decks that looked at the ocean, everything came out. Every window, every door was replaced, our roof, everything was replaced. We still had the core, but everything else was taken away. And our house lived under a really ugly green tarp for about a year. Our poor neighbors. I have to tell you that, you know how you can do the Google Earth and you can find your home? <laughs> yeah, they decided to take the picture during our renovation. I have a porta potty outside my house. So our beautiful beach neighborhood had this ugly house under a green tarp with a porta potty. That's me. That's the Burns house. It wasn't pretty. And I can tell you it was extremely expensive. Not one dime of it covered by insurance. Ouch. But we did the work. The builders went to work. Peeled it back to what it needed to be so that we could rebuild again. So now I have a lovely renovation. And it's beautiful. But the process was way more costly than I thought it would be. It took a lot longer than I thought it would take. And uh, it took more patience than I ever thought I could have. I thought, I can live through the renovation. At one point, it just moved out. I went and moved in with my kids for a while. I just thought, this is just too dusty. I'm a little bit anal about cleanliness, and it wasn't working for me. 
I would, du- I would dust like a maniac and I could never catch up with it. And I think sometimes that's how we feel in relationships. It's a lot of work. But I'll tell you what, it's so worth it. To go back to where you are building on the right and solid foundation. There was a time in our marriage I thought it was easier to just start a new marriage than to try to work with what we had. It just seemed too painful. It seemed too impossible. And yet when we made the choice to start a new foundation, God was at the center. Now we have built for this past 23 years something strong, enduring, and lasting, and joy-filled, and, and blessed. And so, so many times we live in a world that just says, throw it out. Don't even bother trying. But I'll tell you what, if you invite God into the center of it, miracles can happen. Because unless God builds a house, you will labor in vain as you're building it. God is the master builder. It starts with him and it ends with him. And so unless we acknowledge our complete, complete and total, absolute dependence on him, we will not be building something that can last It doesn't endure. And we want to have something bigger than us that we're living for. Something that has more purpose attached to just us. We want to build something that lasts and is a blessing in this generation, but for the generations to come. You know, we can work very hard in life, and a lot of people are. Just like it says here in in the second verse, that it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, because God gives his his, um, rest to his loved ones. And so many people are working so frantically. And I would venture to say there'd be numerous ones in here that feel like I'm working so hard and I can't get get caught up. I feel like I'm working so hard to try to make money and it's a tough time economically. Or I'm working so hard in my marriage and I just can't see the freedom. Or I can't seem to come up with everything I need to make my family work. And I want to encourage you to take heart. Because you can know that even if you feel like, oh, it's huge. You, if you're building on the right foundation, you are going somewhere. There are seasons of our life that seem insane. There are seasons of our life that I feel like, God, are we making? I think of the time when one of our daughters was dying of an eating disorder. And it seemed like, God, we're not enough. We can't do this. But we trusted God. And we kept building with what we knew. And the outcome today is a miracle. You can't lose heart when it looks tough. You can't lose heart when it looks messy. You can't lose heart when, it, when it's, it's harder than you because in the middle of it, God is. And as you let him build, you're going to see miracles on the other side. Just hold on. When you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. Because your efforts aren't enough, but God is enough. So, number one, realize this is your first point, and I want to encourage you with this. You are completely inadequate. Do you feel blessed by that? I am inadequate. Woo! Well, you are. And for some people, we live in a world that doesn't want to hear that. But I decided I'm inadequate. But with God, I am more than enough. I want God at the center. I want to build his way. It's good to realize what I'm doing isn't working. I love Dr. Phil. When I first saw his TV show, people would come on his program and they would talk about all of their challenges and problems. Blah, 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 and blah, 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 and this and this and this. And then finally he just kind of sat back, crossed his arms, and he goes, so how's that working for you? (laughs) I think that is such a good question. 
How's that working for you? And you're like, it isn't. Well, yeah, stop then. <laughs> it's not working. Get off the treadmill, which is my second point. Without God, you're on a treadmill, and you are going nowhere. That's more encouragement for you. First of all, you're inadequate, and now you're not going anywhere. That's if you're doing it on your own. It's really good to know that. I'll never forget being in Africa and watching all these people walking, 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 walking everywhere. They all walk. They carry water. They're all fit. There's not a flabby one in there. They're all, like, so fit, and they're working hard. And then I looked at them one day, and I realized, you know, they walk miles and miles every day. And I realized, I thought, you know what we do in North America? We get in our car, and we drive to a place where we pay money to get on a machine that makes us walk. But it takes us nowhere, <laughs> but makes us really sweaty and tired. And then we go home and take a shower to go to work. They looked at us like, you people are stupid. It does seem stupid, doesn't it? We could just go out for a walk, but that's okay if you go on a treadmill. It's all cool. I have one in my home. It has a lot of dust, but it's there. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is that's how people do life so often. They're on a treadmill, but they're not going anywhere. And here again, it, it, in vain you rise early, stay up late toiling for food to eat. It is so easy to get caught up in a rat race. And we just think we have no options. This is what it looks like. We have no options. And last night I talked about the power of priorities. Because when you know what your priorities are, it will cause you to eliminate all of the distractions. Will there be seasons of crazy? Yes. But if you have been living in seasons of crazy for a very long time, get off the treadmill. Just press stop and reassess your life. And ask yourself the tough questions. I'll never forget one time that God had just really got a hold of John and I in our life and so many things were beginning to happen and doors were opening and here we had three little girls at home and life was full and life was busy and because I had been walking in such um, a backslidden state, then when opportunities opened up, I said yes to everything. Just yes, I'll help with that. Yes, my hand up. And I believe we have to say yes to the things God tells us to do, say yes to. And I remember I'd come home and I had spoken at a meeting and uh, I was exhausted. I had been just running hard and I come home that night and very unusual, John was sitting up in bed waiting for me. Um, and he had a Bible there kind of open and I'm, he's like, come here, I want to talk to you. How'd the meeting go? And I go, it's great. It was great. People got saved and it was great. And then I just burst into tears. And he's like, because he knew what was going on in the inside. And he goes, sit down, and I'm going to read a scripture to you, and I want you to do this. And I, don't, I, I know it's in Proverbs 31, and, and it says in there, she considers a field, I'm talking about the virtuous woman, she considers a field before she buys it, without courting neglect of her present duties. And with her savings of time and energy, she plants fruitful vines. That got all over me. And I remember I, he said, I want you tomorrow to sit down and write down everything that you are volunteering and are involved in today. And then we're going to go through that list together and take a look at what is God's plan and what is just something that you were afraid to say no to. And so we took a look at that list. I looked like I was backslidden after I was done resigning from it for everything I was resigning from. But I didn't know what God was doing because God was preparing us to move come back to Vancouver. We were living in northern British Columbia at that time and come back. 
And as I handed off some of my responsibilities to people that I had been working with, you know what, they picked it up and did way better at it than I did. But there were some responsibilities I couldn't hand off. Things like marriage, things like family, things like supporting John in his business and different things that he was doing. We had a life group. We stayed engaged. It's not like we disengaged from God. But we looked at what was fruitful and what was just busy. And you need to assess. So often we live in a world, and I think that especially as young parents, I'm just going to talk here for a moment, that we sign our kids up for everything thinking that makes us better parents. Oh, I'm in a medal for a moment. We sign them up for everything. We have them so engaged that they're having meals in the car, and they're always being told, hurry, 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 hurry. And we think we're helping. We so, you know, give them every opportunity. But I believe one day children are going to say, I just wanted to be with you. They sure they want to do other things. That's great. But not everything. But I think sometimes out of our own fears, we don't want to be in any way holding them back from being the best. But I think sometimes we get so busy in the rat race of life that we are not accomplishing what we really want. We're just busy. Now, I want to encourage you for some of you. I kind of have a real sense of God on this. For some of you, sit down. Ask yourself the question, is this working? And if it's not, don't be afraid to renovate, to do whatever's necessary to get you to where you do want to go. Which brings me to the third point. And it says, that point is simply realize what a gift and a reward your children are. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, again, sons are a heritage. I know daughters are too. Of the Lord, children are a reward from him, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I believe the greatest thing that I can do as a parent is to be faithful in passing on as much as I can to the generations that God has entrusted to me. The greatest gift my parents gave me, I am an extremely rich woman, ridiculously rich, and it's not reflected in my bank account. What I have as rich as untold is how my parents raised me in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I have such a godly inheritance that I just, I feel, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. My grandparents loved and served Jesus. They raised my parents to do that. And then they raised us in that. And in that walk, it wasn't just that they took us to church. They lived it. I watched what was going on in their lives. Yes, they took us to church. Yes, we spent time studying the word of God together. But more than anything, they exemplified faith. They, and I feel like with that, I want to live that out. John and I want to in our relationship. But I, I believe with all of my heart, my children already have, but they so can go beyond anywhere that we've ever imagined. And I believe that with every single generation, it should get better and better and better because that is just like God, that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter with every single new day. And I believe the kingdom of God, what we know about the kingdom of God, it's not something private. It is something public. And that we are to be that light shining in a crooked and a dark and a hopeless world, the hope of our amazing God. And here, in, in Psalm 119, I'm going to just share a couple of scriptures that just so bless me. It says in Psalm 119.90, your faithfulness is from generation to generation. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Psalm 45 and verse 17 I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise and give you thanks forever and ever. 
one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible is this mighty Joshua generation that saw the great exploits of God, and yet it says in Judges 2.10, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. One of the most profound moments of my life was in our church, and a great man was standing. It was one of the last sermons he preached. And he stood on our platform, Dr. Lester Sumrall, who had done a lot and seen a lot and was a real mentor in our lives. He stood on our platform and he taught a message called Passing the Sword to the Next Generation. And he said, in science and technology, we have not failed to pass on information and understanding from generation to generation. But sadly in Christendom, so often we have failed to pass on that spiritual sword to the generations. And I took note. There's a lot of things that I can do with my life, but no one else can be Angela Danica and Ashley's mother or or Madison or Miller or Meadow or Shalom or Grace or Jack's grandmother. And those are my spiritual inheritance, but it's much bigger than that because I believe that all of our children and our spiritual children, as it says in Isaiah chapter 53 or 54, need to be taught of the Lord and obedient to his will so that great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. That is my passion, to see the generations beautiful. I have a grandson, he's going to be 13 in just a couple of months, and his dad comes early to our church every service because he sets up tech stuff, and he's, he, he's there at the crack of dawn. He always opens the gates and turns off the alarm. And for years, he has been the first one there. But you know who's always with him is my grandson, He's like, Dad, don't you leave without me. I want to go with you. He's taking him on the journey with him. Miller loves the house of God. He plays in the band at 12 years old in kids' church. He brings a little skateboard underneath, and while he's waiting, he's out there racing around the, before all the cars show up. He loves the house of God. How did that happen? Because generations have loved the house. Parents, take your children with you. And children, take your parents with you. Sometimes it's the children that bring the parents. And thank God for that. You know, if I think of the progress of the iPod, there have been generations of the iPod, and everyone just gets back. I hear the iPad 3's coming out. Well, there you go. John needs one of those. (laughs) He always does. Want my old one? Yeah, sure, John, that's fine. Yeah, I'll take the old one. (laughs) Why? Because every generation gets new and exciting. Everybody wants the latest thing. And, and, and you know what? History has shown, like Dr. Sumrall said, we've been great at that. But I believe the greatest should be what we, as the family of God, pass on to the generations. And I have to say that is the beauty that River Valley Church carries. It's a magnificent, magnificent platform that God has built for generations. And God is, like I said yesterday, the kiss of heaven is on this house And so steward that well. You have opportunity to grow well here and to bring up the generations well here, and it will be for years and years to come. So how do we influence the next generation well? I am so aware that I am only a steward of those that God entrusts to me. I'm not an owner. My children, my grandchildren, those that God has brought into my life, I'm a steward of their lives. I need to steward mine well, but I want to make sure that I steward the lives that God has entrusted into me well. Um, So a few things that I want to share with you. And these are so simple, but I want to encourage you to live these out well. 
And the first one is always declare the goodness of God. Don't be a parent that talks about what's wrong with the house of God or what's wrong with what happened and how God didn't answer your prayer. Tell them how God did. Don't be afraid to hide the challenge, but tell them the goodness of God. The Bible teaches us to magnify God, which simply means make God bigger. And so often we, 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 we speak negative about the things that are most important. And I, and I think of our 26 journey, it's 26 year journey of pastoring. I have to tell you, there were times that some of the people, we, you know, we went through some issues. You do, you can't go through church life and not have some challenges, but you know what? Our children didn't grow up with a sense of, of what was wrong with church, but what was right with church. Our children love and serve the house of God, and the generations do. I believe that came out of declaring the bigness of God. Not the challenges, but the amazing people in the house of God that we get to, to um, build something that will outlast us. And, and I believe that all of heaven smiles on you when you talk in such a manner. So what do we do? How do we make God big? Well, we put their eyes on him, not on us. Their eyes on Jesus. Jesus is their source for life. Jesus is their source for their future. Jesus is the source for their dreams. It's not found anywhere else, but it's found in Jesus. His goodness always on our lips. Let your love and gratitude for God continually overflow and continuously share the why behind what you do and what you think. Make it very personal. I think about one of the things I'm precious about is the dinner table. But we talk about the goodness of God there. We talk about, not just at the dinner table, but I think of even times when I have my grandchildren in the car with me, and and the things that we talk about that are personal and beautiful, and, and I believe that. I'm one of their best friends. I'm old, but they like me. They really like me. And, uh, but I think it's because our relationship isn't formal. It's so close and personal. And, and the center of our communication is the goodness of God. They would be very aware of that. And what do we communicate with the generations? Just three thoughts I have. That first of all, your thoughts. Don't be afraid to share your thoughts. What's going on in the inside? Something we know. You know, today my grandmother is and grandparents aren't around anymore, but you know what? I can recall so many conversations about what they thought. I think about my father who's in heaven now and how he poured into us his relationship with God and, and he poured into us truth, how he overcame different situations. We knew what was going on. Share, share thoughts, share your emotion. Let them see you worship God. Let them see you pray because it comes out of a heart that feels. And then actions, let them watch you. Let them see what you do. And I believe all of those communicate very beautifully your relationship with God. If we share something we know but we're not actually feeling it, our communication is completely dispassionate. If we share something we know but we're not doing it, now we're hypocritical. We don't want to be that. If we, if we share something we do but we don't actually know, then our communication is presumptuous. They need to have real from us. And if we share something we do but we don't feel, then it's just mechanical. I don't want to have a mechanical relationship with this amazing God. And I do not want to pass on uh, a sterile God, but a very real, warm, I can feel him God to the people that I do life with. And the second thought there that's most important, share your story. 
If I think about the greatest way to influence people is to share your story. And sometimes people say to us, well, I can't believe how real you are. We stand up and platform and talk about our battles. Because I decided everyone has a battle. And if we as Christians need to get comfortable, not that we have to tell every gory detail, but share not just your pretty picture, share the challenge. Tell them what you had to overcome to get to where you are. If John and I didn't share our marriage battle, our children would have been further behind. But they knew what it took for mom and dad to fight for not just a, a, you know, an existing marriage, but a loving marriage. But we sh- they know our story. They know my parents' story, our grandparents' story, and many stories of the lives of the people in their world that they really, really respect. Because I don't think you can connect with someone that just wants to give you the headline, we're perfect. We're super Christian. The, that doesn't exist. We're not perfect. But God is. So God in my story makes the message powerful. Don't ever be afraid to share your struggles. Why let your children walk through that struggle and not empower them through your victory in yours? Um, It's not about doing life perfectly because that expectation only sets you and the generations up to fail. I walked into Angela's home recently and uh, that's our eldest daughter and I walked in. They have this big chalkboard in their entrance And these words were written on it. And I sat there and I did end up taking a photo of it. I thought, okay, that's really profound. I thought she wrote it. I found out she saw it somewhere on Pinterest. But anyhow, (laughs) it's pretty powerful. Somebody who's writing a book saw us tweet the picture of it and wanted permission to print it in their book from Angela. I thought, yeah, it's not original. (laughs) But in this home, it said this. We do second chances. We do grace. We do real. We do mistakes. We do I'm sorry's. We do loud really well. We do hugs. We do family. We do love. What is that? It's a picture of God working in your life. So going back to the beginning, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. Take a look at who's building my house. Take a look at is this house going where I want it to go. Take a look at am I just on the treadmill going, 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 going. And my marriage is suffering. My family is suffering. But I feel like I have to go, go. Don't be afraid to push stop. Don't stay stopped. But get off long enough to take a look. If I keep doing what I'm doing, where is it going to take me? And I think we have to look to where we want to land to decide what we're going to do today. Build from the end forward. If I go at this pace, if this anger on the inside of me, if I don't deal with it, And often that anger is just because you're out of control, because you don't have control of where you're going. Stop it, take a look, and then walk forward to where God wants you to go. And then realize the gift your family is to you and make that investment that what I'm doing today, though I'm not doing it perfectly, God's grace is in the middle of it. It's going to take me where I want to go. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus, for every single person here today, for every life, every home, every family that is represented here. God, I speak your grace. I speak your mercy. I speak your peace. And Father, I pray that they would not look at failures or inadequacies in themselves and say it's hopeless, but that they would lift up their eyes to you today and see that through you, 
all things are possible. And God, I pray from this day forward that there will be choices made, decisions solidified in the hearts and lives of your people that will set them on a course for victory to take them where they want to go. I speak your divine, supernatural blessing upon each and every one in Jesus' name. Amen.